Welcome back to Hey It's Science. I am Sarah Gardner. On this episode, I will be discussing vaccinations with Dr. Harvey Crowder, who is the Walla Walla County Director of Community Health. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Harvey. It's my pleasure, Sarah. I'm really happy you're here. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Although we brought you on the show to discuss vaccinations, I wanted to get just a very brief overview of what your duties um, are as the County Director of Community Health, and tie that into your professional background a little bit. Well, my duties as as the Director of Community Health is essentially I'm responsible for leading and managing uh, a local health department. Uh, We do population-based health, looking at how do we make the population of our community better, a... uh, an environmental public health program that looks at water and sewer and disposal of solid waste and food safety and a variety of uh, other issues around that. We also uh, look at how we deal with uh, homelessness, look at delivery of chemical dependency and behavioral health services, as well as provide support for uh, uh, adults with developmental disabilities. Uh, we have a, a program that uh, helps with nutrition of uh, women and, and infants and do outreach for kids with special health care needs. Interesting. I mean, so do you personally develop classes and things like that, or you um, hire people to... Oh, my staff to, does that work. Does, my, okay. you know, my job is to make sure they have the, the, the funding and the things they need to be able to do their job, uh, and then make sure that we have a plan on how we're going to move forward to, to make the quality of life in our community better, whether it's, whether it's a health care issue, whether it's a housing issue, whether it's uh, access to clean water or disposal of sewage. Uh, my job is to is to make sure we have a plan and, and a way to go forward to make things better. That's excellent. So how then did you get into this job? So you you are a doctor, in fact. Well, I am a, I'm a doctor of veterinary medicine. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a veterinarian by training. Um, and uh, over a period of time, I uh, went into the United States Air Force, uh, got an advanced degree in public health, uh, did a variety of things in the Air Force and public health and healthcare administration, as well as doing some uh, uh, war planning, and and then ended up as a in Washington D.C. as responsible for preventive medicine for the Department of Air Force. Oh wow, that seems like a big job. No, oh, it was a fun job. It was a fun job, and and uh, the. Through that, uh, when I when I retired from the Air Force, I looked at uh, what to do in public health, uh, and eventually ended up here in Walla Walla as their uh, as their director of public health, and then merged public health and human services into one department. Oh, excellent! So you have no um, no more investment in in veterinary science these days. You oh, it's been a very long time since it's been I've, a while. Th- that since I've b- treated an animal uh, other than my pets and. Uh, when my wife uh, finds we have a sick animal, I get to take it to a real veterinarian. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so in, in terms of vaccinations, I wanted to uh, discuss the typical series of vaccinations that people generally get, the ages that those vaccinations start, and um, how the application of these vaccinations have uh, changed over the last few decades. Well, you know, the vaccines are... Vaccines now are a very complex process, starting at birth and and moving through an individual's entire life. 
the, the series of vaccinations uh, for children have gotten uh, increasing, increasingly or increased in number as they've developed uh, effective vaccines to prevent disease, whether it's hepatitis B or uh, pertussis or measles or the, the, uh, the menin meningococcal or, or uh, pneumococcal pneumonia and encephalitis vaccines as well as vaccines for chicken pox. Uh, and there's a chicken pox vaccine? Oh, yes, there's a chicken oh, pox no vaccine. Idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and uh, the, the vaccines against uh, uh, the, the herpes simplex virus, the, the viruses that can cause... Uh, the HPV panel uh, that you yeah, can get? Yeah. Or is that something different? The, the vaccine for that helps prevent uh, both throat and lung cancer, and, and cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. A whole variety of vaccines, vaccines against influenza as people get older. Again, uh, pneumonia vaccinations and vaccines against shingles for those people who had chicken poxes as a, as a youngster. Uh, so it's a it's very complex, large number of vaccines spread over intensely over the first six years of life and then, remain, then continuing to be ongoing through the rest of an individual's life whether it's an annual influenza vaccine or a periodic vaccine against uh, uh, diphtheria and tetanus and pertussis, uh, and then as people age, another vaccine against uh, pneumococcal pneumonia and the, and the shingles vaccine. It's a lifelong process of uh, providing protection against diseases. Yeah, um, so... Uh so they've changed typically in the uh, the number well, of the, vaccines that the, are available. The number the number of different antigens or the number of different protective units that are available. Actually, the number of immunizations given has actually dropped uh, because there's a number of vaccines that are that are a combination of. Uh, uh, of different uh, protective antigens so that... Oh, they combine them together? Co combine them together so that uh, there's not so many pokes. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> uh, but but the, the level of protection is still provided. So there has been an increase in whooping cough in this county, is that correct? There's been an increase in whooping cough uh, across the nation. Across the nation, okay. So that's a, at, at one time, we've had a vaccine against whooping cough or pertussis for a great length of time. Uh, in, the, in the past, uh, the, the vaccine provided excellent protection, but when it was administered to infants, uh, often caused some fairly significant side effects uh, up to and including what we call febrile seizures where uh, the, the, the kids would actually develop quite a high fever and would develop seizures with, uh, with that vaccine. And so starting in the mid-1980s, uh, people looked for a, for a better vaccine that didn't have quite so many side effects. Uh, and the United States started using those vaccines in the mid-90s. Okay. Uh, while they were great for kids, the number of complaints uh, that pediatricians received following a pertussis vaccination dropped dramatically. In terms of all those, um, uh, uh, those side effects, uh, yeah, like all the, the side seizures effects. and things like that. What's happened now is is that we found that the vaccine doesn't provide very long-lived uh, immu uh, immunity. And so... What used to be a series of three vaccines is now stretched out into uh, a number of vaccines, and, and in fact, we're now revaccinating adults. Um, 
And it appears that the, the bacteria that causes whooping cough, the pertussis bacteria, uh, has changed just a little bit. And so uh, the vaccines that used to work very well are not providing long lived immunity. Mm. Uh, and we're looking for better ways of protecting a, against whooping cough. Uh, while still keep reducing the, the side effects, especially in infants, of the vaccine. And, mm. and those new vaccines are a ways off, but uh, they're under development as we try and look at how do we do a better job of uh, protecting people against whooping cough. A very severe disease in young infants. Mm. Uh, in adults, a whooping cough is uh, the 100-day cough. I mean... It, 100 days of coughing? Uh, at least, at least two to three months of coughing. Uh, at first, the coughing is so severe that it's often often followed by vomiting. Oh, uh, five to six what we call paroxysms of coughing a day. Uh, it, the disease gets its name from the fact that, especially in infants, they cough so hard that they really can't breathe in. And at the end of one of these spells of coughing, so they, they inhale, and it actually sounds like a whoop. Oh, hence the name whooping cough. It's the name whooping okay. cough. I've always wondered that. So... Um, when should adults be getting vaccinated for whooping cough? Like, well, what, we're recommending now one after the age of 20. Just one? Just one. That will probably change over time. Mm-hmm. We, we strongly recommend that, uh, that, that pregnant women in the third trimester get a booster against its, it's called a, a Tdap vaccine. Uh, that they get a booster in their third trimester uh, and that any adults around new infants get a booster against uh, the whooping cough, get a Tdap. To protect the To protect the, the infant. That we, we don't normally immunize the infants until they're about six months of age. Oh, okay. So we want to wrap around them. They, we call it cocooning uh, with, with, uh, with protected mom uh, and a protected family around them. Uh, to try and uh, mitigate the chances of, of exposing the baby to whooping cough. And then right now we're requiring a whooping cough vaccine for kids going, not only the initial series, but a whooping cough vaccine going into the sixth grade, about 12 years of age. Oh, okay. So that we try and protect there. Because now most of our whooping cough is in it, it, older children and adolescents and and. In, in adults, uh, we do a pretty good job with the with the babies and, and toddlers, but uh, we really need to protect those others so they don't bring it home to their sibs or to their kids. So, with this increase in frequency of of vaccinations, then why is there an increase in the actual disease becoming well? There's in the one is all people aren't necessarily immunized. Oh, okay. Uh, the immunity wears off fairly quickly, only a couple years. Uh, and there's some indication that it's providing incomplete immunity, that there may actually be some changes in the bacteria that okay. make this vaccine a little less effective Got than you. it could be. So you could st- you could get the vaccination but still be um, susceptible to getting with Yes, you, you still can. it's still worth getting. It's still worth getting because, A, it will most likely prevent you from getting it, becoming ill. And if you do become ill, it will be much less severe okay. than, than, than otherwise. And so we want to really make sure that uh, that we get as many people immunized as possible. To provide that cocoon. Yes. As well. 
uh, is it fatal in adults at all? Or no, it's it it, for for adults. This is this is really the hundred day cough. I mean, okay. it's really miserable. It goes on for a long time. They aren't infectious for that entire period of time, but for young infants, especially infants less than three months of age, there's about a one to two percent case fatality rate. Mm-hmm. So if the, if they develop a case of whooping cough, uh, it can be fatal for the very young. Uh, for older kids, they're, they're going to have this really prolonged cough, and it makes people's life absolutely miserable. Hmm. Uh, and while the disease is treatable in its early stages, if it's recognized early within the first 7 to 10 days that, that the cough starts, uh, you can get treated. Uh, it may stop the coughing, but it'll certainly stop the transmission. After about that first 7 to 10 days, if people continue to cough... Then you're in for the long They're cough. in for a very <laughs> long cough. Oh, no. That sounds really uncomfortable, but at least there are ways to attempt to prevent it. Most people know that you should get your yearly flu vaccine, but I've always wondered how the um, like the, the synthesis of the different vaccines actually takes place, like which uh, vaccines do you decide to start making? Okay, so, so, so it's, a, it's a complex question with a, with a fairly complex answer. Oh, well, we have time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, around the world... There are monitoring programs that go on that take a look at what's going on with the influenza virus. And classically in the northern hemisphere, our influenza season runs from October through April. Uh, and in the southern hemisphere, it runs May through, uh, May through September. And so in the southern hemisphere, there are these, these monitoring programs looking at what influenza viruses are circulating, uh, what was circulating in the northern hemisphere last year. Uh, they're doing a really good job of tracking those viruses. And then in January in Geneva, uh, the World Health Organization sits down and, and says, this is where we think the influenza viruses are going uh, next fall in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, so it's it's a big worldwide decision. It's, it's, a, it's a, like it, a community, like small, no, it's, Walla Walla-based. It's a worldwide decision. Okay. Uh, they then develop what they call seed stocks of virus that reflect those, and and, and now we're seeing four different influenza viruses in the uh, in the influenza vaccine for the most part. Four uh, different. Four, two types. different influenza A's and two different influenza B's. Uh, those seed stocks get developed. They go out to the uh, the vaccine manufacturers, and then from there. Vaccine manufacturers start making vaccines, and we have two different, really two different kinds of influenza vaccines. Mm. There's there's an inactivated vaccine, the classic injection you get for a flu shot, and then we have a modified live virus vaccine that squirted in the nose. Okay. Uh, uh, the 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 longstanding. Injectable vaccine does a pretty good job of preventing the severe consequences of of influenza, but it actually won't stop people from becoming infected. Oh. Uh, But it will help stop people from becoming severely ill and and help reduce the, the, you know, the fatalities associated with influenza. You know, the the biggest problem with influenza is deaths in the elderly and deaths in the very young. Okay. Uh, The the influenza vaccine does a really good job of helping prevent that. The vaccine that squirted in the nose can actually prevent an infection. 
Okay. And and that's available for for people from two years old up through up through forty nine years of age. Uh, it's really effective in in children and young adults. Okay. Uh, and, and but not so much anybody over the age of fifty is. That no, correct? well, it's not it's not licensed for use in people over the age of fifty. Huh, interesting. Uh, do you know why that is? Well, because they haven't tested it oh. in people over 50. But uh, what's what's turned out over time is, you know, as our bodies age and we don't respond as well, uh, this vaccine doesn't work quite as well as it does in the very, in the in younger. And so this is one of those vaccines we really want people to use, especially for, for, for young children through school age and young adults. Mm-hmm. It's a great product. Uh, works very well. The nasal? The nasal vaccine. vaccine. The injectable vaccine, mm-hmm. again, works well for most people. Everybody should be getting either a squirt in the nose or a, an injection once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because the influenza virus is always changing. It uh, it kind of mutates over time, and, and every year we... we the World Health Organization, Centers for Disease Control, work really hard at trying to get a good match between what they think will happen in the fall mm-hmm. uh, and and the, and the vaccine. Most of the time, they do a pretty good job. Uh, out of the last 25 years, there's been 21 where they've had almost a dead-on match. Oh, no kidding. Uh, occasionally, something will happen, like happened with swine influenza, with the influenza that appeared in Mexico and spread very quickly around the world. Oh, that was a surprise influenza? That's a surprise. Price. That okay. was a that was a major interchange between an animal influenza virus and a human virus, mm. and when when that happens, uh, it, it's it, it's unforeseen. Mm. And it happens periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got to go about making a new vaccine that matches that. And, and they did that in, in 2009 very well. They, uh, by, they, within seven months, they, had a, they created a vaccine that provided very good tra- protection against the, that circulating virus. Unfortunately, the virus had already Run gone through most of, the, <laughs> most of the communities by the time the vaccine was, was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lots of new vaccines on the way as Right now, almost all of our influenza vaccines being made in embryonated chicken eggs. Uh, the, uh, there are now some new processes ongoing where they're making growing the influenza viruses in tissue culture. Uh, there's a, there's a whole variety of, of, of new processes trying to speed up the production of vaccine, mm-hmm. uh, and, and eventually create a whole new type of vaccine that doesn't require an annual immunization. And we're probably five to seven years off from oh, that's that. That's not too bad. That's no, actually... well, it's about the typical cycle and, and they're working very hard at, uh, at, at working on those vaccines to try and get away from the annual immunization. We'll see how well they work over time. But, but for now, uh, it's one shot a year. Hmm. Uh, uh, do you know if the, um, the inactivated needle um, variety is more readily available than the live virus nose? Well, there's, there's, there's always Sorry. more of the injectable vaccine than, than there is of, of the nasal vaccine. But okay. it's, it, it's, now there's usually adequate vaccine to cover everybody. I mean, they've, they've gone... I think we're talking about 150 million doses of influenza vaccine for the United States this year. So that's, you know, it's about, there's enough for one out of two. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the CDC, the National Institutes of Health would like to see those numbers increase. Uh, influenza vaccine isn't a real, 
there isn't a real money maker. Oh, really? Uh, and so, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's this balance of creating enough to vaccinate as many people as want the vaccine, but not making so much that so you lose a whole that, bunch of money. That the the vaccine manufacturers lose a whole bunch of money. Hmm. Do uh, you know which one, um, which method is cheaper, the chicken egg method or the tissue? You know, method? I really don't. The the, the it's. I would foresee that the tissue culture should, over time, become less less burdensome than mm. the than the, the chicken egg because now what you're talking about is taking about three million chicken eggs that are embryonated, inoculating them with a with with an with an influenza virus, uh, letting the letting the virus grow for a bit. Then harvesting that virus, separating out all the egg stuff from the virus. Wow! Inactivating the virus. Uh, this is a complicated it's, process. It's a complicated process. Why it takes you know four to six months to make a new vaccine. I see. So it's not a it's not an easy process to do. And, and if we can use, uh, I've, well, I've described that the the embryonated egg process is a is a process that Louis Pasteur would have been very proud of. <laughs> uh, but it's it's really you know pretty turn of the last century kind of technology, and, mm. and we really need to move into a. A, a new world where we're using modern production techniques. Yeah, without having to use chicken eggs. So yeah. do other vaccinations then, like the, the pertussis and things like that, use eggs? Um, actually, most of, the vac- most of the virus vaccines, mm-hmm. the viruses are grown in tissue culture. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the bacteria uh, mm-hmm. are, are grown in a bacterial media. Uh, depends on you know, and then it depends on the kind of vaccine that uh, that you're you're developing. Whether it's a whether it's a whole bacteria, whether it's the bacteria has been broken up, whether it's actually taking a byproduct that the bacteria makes and, and uh, making what's called an antitoxin. Hmm. Uh, so there's a whole variety of things that go on, but most of this is done in a in a culture media rather than on uh, rather than on eggs. Hmm. Influenza vaccines, one of the last ones that are grown in that fashion. So I was asked before coming here to do this interview if I could um, suss out if maybe just locally but nationally if school children have to have a full vaccination panel prior to going to school these days well in some states yes in some states yeah some states require absolutely that you've got to have all of the immunizations recommended by the the immuniza- the advisory committee for immunization practices is washington one of those washington states? is not one of those states Interesting. Uh, washington is a state that allows uh, it, Two, really two exemptions. One of those exemptions is a medical exemption. If there's, there's some, there's some vaccines, a lot of vaccines will have very small amounts of antibiotics in them. They may have some, some other products with them and they could cause an allergic, allergic reaction. Oh, okay. And, and with, and with those vaccines, uh, they, they should be exempted from receiving those. Uh, Washington allows a, a, a essentially a parental, uh, a, a philosophical exemption for vaccines uh, for a variety of reasons. Some parents don't wish to have their kids immunized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Washington allows that after they've received counseling from a physician. Oh, okay. So, so they, they have, have to, to go talk they to have, an authority. You have to go it. talk to a physician uh, or your provider about mm-hmm. uh, about their wish to be uh, a, a philosophical exemption against vaccines. Do they have to speak with their doctor Every time they're supposed to receive a vaccine? No, just, 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 one. just once. Okay. 
Do you know about um, Oregon? If school children have to be vaccinated, Oregon has a, both a has both a well, and oh, I forgot. There's a religious exemption. There's, okay, so there's and, medical, philosophical, and, and religious. religious. There is a religious exemption, and Oregon has all three. Interesting. Um, do you happen to have any data on the percentage of school children in at least Walla Walla that are vaccinated? I I, I can tell you that the the right now I think less than five percent of the kindergartners coming into school are less than fully vaccinated. Less than five percent. Yeah. So it's it's a very small number. Okay. Uh, a number of children are homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any. Well, we don't. We don't have any any ability to know the number of kids that are homeschooled that aren't fully immunized or not immunized at all. Okay. Uh, There's no database on those. Well, it's yeah, it's not something you can collect, and and uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, and as you may have seen in the union bulletin, I, I assume the the. Uh, the paper in Pendleton also. This is we're approaching the time of year when there's an exclusion from school for kids that aren't fully immunized. Oh, uh, so that unless they have one of the exemptions, they ha- they will be excluded from school if they're not fully immunized. If they're not fully immunized, yeah, and that's usually around the first week in February. Is that just because that's when? Um, a lot of different diseases start popping up? No, it's actually, it actually, you know, the what happens is is that prior to the start of school for enrollees, uh, the schools will send out a note saying, we don't have any, we don't have these records for your children. Uh, oh, okay. If they've gotten these immunizations, we need to know about that. Uh, they will give parents an adequate amount of time to become immunized, get their kids immunized. But mm-hmm. at some point in time, they draw the line and say, okay, this is it. And that's February. Then uh, that's, that's usually around the first week in February. And then uh, there's usually a, 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 a great amount of activity uh, around getting, their, getting kids immunized and, mm-hmm. and moving forward to the keep their get kids in school. The right before February. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, this is, I, I think I put it, this was the final bell. They'd better either mm-hmm. be fully immunized or have one of the exemptions along the way. Um, are immunizations expensive? Like, is that a prohibitive thing for people to, to getting immunized? Is- well, what I would say in the state of Washington, Washington is a full immunization state. The actual cost of the vaccine for children is free. Oh, it's completely free. It's completely free. Okay. Up through the, up through 18 years of age. Oh, that's there's, fantastic. There's no charge for any vaccine for children in the state of Washington. Okay. Uh, there, if you know, their provider can charge them an office visit and what's called an administration fee. Okay. But usually, that's very small compared to the actual cost of the vaccine. Okay. Uh, some of the vaccines are quite for children are quite expensive, running in the wholesale range of $150 a dose. Oh. So, I mean, wow. this is re- this really is a, a major benefit for everybody in the state of Washington uh, with that universal vaccination. Uh, other states, it's there's there are only free vaccines available for people who meet certain income guidelines. But okay. Washington's worked with the with with the CDC as well as state insurance agencies and others to make sure that. Our children can, can be fully immunized at absolutely minimal cost to the individual. Excellent. That's a great program. Yes, it is. 
a mar- marvelous. Program. Did you have anything to do with that? <laughs> uh, well, other than you know, up until up until the first of this year, we are a strong proponent you know, mm-hmm. of making sure everybody's immunized. And it, all public health really is, and, and we fully supported that, mm-hmm. uh, and gave a lot of support to our state department of health, who really worked hard at making sure that could happen. Um, is there any cool? innovations that are coming along the pipeline for vaccinations that you can think of? Well, there's there's a whole variety of things ongoing. The, the, kind of the first of those was the nasal vaccine for influenza. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's now some low-dose vaccines instead of, uh, uh, for instance, a... Uh, Right now, an, uh, an influenza immunization is a half milliliter injected. Uh, there's a new vaccine that's in, just injected between layers of the skin. It's a very small amount, a tenth of a milliliter, tenth of a milliliter up mm. underneath, basically a little blob underneath the skin. Uh, there's a whole variety of, of work ongoing with oral vaccines for certain diseases, as well as uh, using some patches and different routes of administration to to try and make the process easier on people and become effective less invasive and Mm -hmm. more effective is the key here uh you know for for the influenza the nasal influenza vaccine is more effective because it actually provides immunity at the level of where where infection takes place rather than just circulating antibodies you get what's called cellular immunity in your upper respiratory tract So the virus, when the, as soon as the virus appears there, that cellular level immunity uh, present. can, can right there. be present right there and actually mm-hmm. prevent the virus from uh, infecting and going on and reproducing. Well, interesting. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss? Well, I think, I think you know, there's, there's been a lot of misinformation about vaccines, especially vaccines in children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there, for a while there, was, there were stories running around about measles vaccine causing, uh, being related to autism. That's been debunked. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a when lot. Did that information come out? Well, it came out in the late 1990s from a physician in England okay. who, who published a paper in the Lancet, and uh, the, when there was there was not only discovered a falsifying research, but actually a financial interest on the part of the individual oh, no who published. Uh, Lancet did things that are very unusual, and they actually withdrew the publication. That doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Uh, so, so you know, that's been debunked. There's a lot of misinformation about the number of different types of antigens or the types of viruses and bacteria that are in a, in a vaccine. And, and there's, been, there's been no evidence to show that these, these vaccines with multiple different immunizing agents are any less effective or mm-hmm. cause any more problems than anything else. Uh, we have a really effective vaccine uh, monitoring system. If there's an adverse event, it gets reported. Uh, and those are pretty heavily monitored, and, and you know, I, I would point to the, the whooping cough vaccine as an example of we identified a problem. They worked out a solution. Uh, there's always an unintended consequence uh, of, of when something happens, and, and now we've got to deal with how do we protect adults and older children mm-hmm. uh, while still protecting the infants, the infants with the vaccine. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll continue to get lots of work ongoing. Vac-
vaccine is one of the four major things that in, that's improved the health of the, our population uh, mm-hmm. besides clean water, clean food, and adequate housing. Vaccines are one of the major reasons we live longer and live healthier today than we have in the past. Yeah, I mean, I never got measles. <laughs> well, and, and, and I did. I can still remember the, the hallucinations uh, that came along with a very high fever from measles. And I remember going to school with with uh, with kids in crutches because they had polio as, mm-hmm. a, a, as a child. Those kinds of things we don't see anymore. Yeah, we don't have to deal with those we don't. Things. We don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it causes parents to make a cost-benefit or a risk-balance decision on, well, I've never seen a kid with measles, therefore I don't think we need to vaccinate against it. Mm. But, you know, uh, when, when we have outbreaks of measles, we, we have young adults who die from, me, from an encephalitis and inflammation of the brain from measles. Whoa, like a healthy person. A healthy person, a healthy but unimmunized person yeah. can, uh, young adults often die from, from at about 2 to 3% of the cases will die from measles. Man. Uh, it's, a, it's a really severe disease, and, and we've essentially been able to mitigate most of that through immunizations. And mm-hmm. many of the diseases that were fatal for infants and small children now are, we just simply don't see because we've we've eliminated those uh, those that transmission through a through mass immunization you know with my background i just call it herd health it's <laughs> we we have we have a herd of people uh-huh. that that are protected and with that we can minimize the amount of transmission so do you think one of the arguments though that people have for not immunizing their kids is it like well everyone else is immunized so i don't have to do it that's and and, and that's an all that's an argument that's often used. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 fallacy in that argument is that every even if everybody around is immunized, it doesn't mean that they're immune. Okay. Uh, there are people with compromised immune systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other immun- unimmunized people around. Uh, and there are other people who've been immunized, but the immunization didn't provide an adequate immunity. Mm-hmm. And so when someone is unimmunized, it increases the risk of uh, being able to transmit uh, the disease between people. And, and we've seen that with, uh, with our outbreaks of measles that we've had in Washington State, where right. we have populations of unimmunized people spreads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't seen a death in a while from measles, but, uh, you know, the... The, I think an outbreak here in the early 1990s over in the Tri-Cities, we actually had a death from measles in an unimmunized young adult. Wow. And several hundred cases uh, that we really want to focus on being able to provide protection with those very severe diseases, both severe diseases for infants as well as uh, uh, those that can be transmitted to adults and cause complications. And then, then there's some other long-term complications of mm-hmm. measles, uh, especially measles that can happen later in life. Uh, oh, really? Like there's in addition to, you know, the, in addition to the acute, in acute, in addition to the acute disease, a few people develop a chronic measles infection. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, and uh, they develop a brain disease uh, 10 to 20 years after their measles case. Oh, no kidding. So, so in fact, we just had a report of, of one of those who'd had been, had one immunization, not two, got infected with the measles virus and then I think 12 years later developed this chronic infection eventually succumbed to it wow so it's serious it's a serious disease 
Um, so are there other severe diseases aside from measles and things like that that have been, uh, that we've already discussed that have been cropping up due to... Uh, well, we don't, we don't see much infectious disease in the United States, mm -hmm. and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, vaccines have, have done a wonderful job of helping eliminate those. Uh, you know, the, we, we, we will continue to see new infectious diseases crop up in Central South and the American and the Caribbean. We're seeing a, a revival of of something called chikungunya. Chikungunya. Uh, okay, I don't it, think I've heard of that one. Well, it's a, it's a it's another one of those arboviral diseases that causes fever and a rash. Mm. Uh, nickname is breakbone fever. That sounds pleasant. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> oh my pretty God. significant muscle pain, joint pain, and, and then there's been here recently a disease that's been imported into the Western Hemisphere, Zika virus. I was just reading about that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. the the Zika virus is uh, causes if a woman is infected during pregnancy, uh, causes a, a fair number of what's called microencephaly. The kids develop a very small head in the development, mm. often fatal to the fetus. Uh, is or, that a bacteria? Infection no, it's a virus. virus. Okay. It's a it's a it's a virus transmitted through a mosquito. Same mosquito that transmits chikungunya and dengue and malaria. The same species of mosquito. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole, the whole the whole families of the of the, of the, uh, the mosquitoes that do mm -hmm. that. The, primarily, the one we're worried about is the Asian tiger mosquito. Okay, uh, which is becoming more prevalent here. Be, becoming been imported, becoming mm -hmm. more prevalent. Luckily, yeah. it likes to live places that are a little warmer and more humid. More, more Florida than. <laughs> Washington, <laughs> yeah, then at least in eastern Washington. So yeah. we'll 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 see. But you know, we're having lots of diseases that get imported. We continue to discover new diseases all the time. Mm. Uh, some of which are some of which are person to person transmitted. Some of them are transmitted by uh, by insects. The the last major importation of a of a of a virus we still don't have a vaccine for people yet uh, was West Nile fever. Mm. Uh, Major disease in, in in causing fatalities in horses imported into the United States in the late 90s and fairly quickly spread across the United States and and been found in every state now I think except for Alaska. Okay. Uh, so there's a vaccine for horses, but, but not the vaccine yet. for horses not for people yet, and, and uh, you know whether they're going to have a vaccine for people or not is it's a fairly uncommon disease in people, but really severe mm. when it does occur. Oh, really? Yeah. So is it different than than just typical flu symptoms? It's pretty intense. Well, the the classic eighty percent of the people get infected with West Nile actually get infected, become immune, nothing happens. Twenty mm. percent are going to develop a mild febrile disease. They may have a little rash, maybe a little headache. Mm. Uh, less than 1% are going to develop an infection in the central nervous system. Uh, and, and less than one-tenth of those, or you know, one, less than one-tenth of one percent, are going to die from the infection. Wow. Uh, th but in that one percent, uh, there's, often, there's often a lifelong uh, muscle weakness in one of the extremities or all the extremities. Hmm. Uh, it can be a really significant disease. And so uh, there's really potential there for getting a vaccine. Yeah. Um, for that soon, I don't. I don't right now, there's been vaccines in development. We'll mm -hmm. we'll see again. It's a, it's how much is it going to cost to do this vice? What's the, what's the benefit? Can mm -hmm. we benefit a large number of people? Since most people don't become ill at all, and right. uh, a very small number actually become ill. So we, it would depend on uh, whether we see large outbreaks or whether we continue to see a couple cases a year. Mm -hmm. And we have a whole variety of other mosquito transmitted diseases that do that. We don't have a vaccine for. Mm -hmm. um, 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Crowder, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. um, Hopefully we can talk again soon. Anytime. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you.